This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Are Americans' financial secrets finding their way into Beijing's hands? That's the concern coming from two Republican lawmakers. They're demanding answers from the country's top stock market regulators over whether Chinese-linked companies are complying with American laws, noting if not, Americans' personal data, like social security numbers and more, could be exposed. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Can Beijing gain access to American financial data, including social security numbers? That's the question two senators are shining a spotlight on. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville and Rep. Jim Banks are demanding answers from the country's top stock market regulators, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA. In a letter Wednesday, they raised the issue of whether Chinese-linked companies are complying with American laws. That's in terms of how they handle American data. Up for debate, stock trading platforms Webull Financial and Moomoo. Here's the lawmaker's argument. Webull and Moomoo collect highly sensitive personal information from millions of their U.S. customers, including personally identifiable information such as social security numbers, mailing addresses, and financial account data. They say Webull and Moomoo's parent companies have ties with Chinese tech giant Xiaomi and developer Tencent. Both have reportedly helped the Chinese regime to surveil and suppress its citizens. They know that while Webull has eight FINRA representatives in China, the fact that they're in China raises concerns about whether U.S. rules are being followed. Tuberville emphasizing that the Chinese regime poses the biggest threat facing our country today. Adding, China doesn't need a spy balloon to steal our information. They've got spies in the smartphones of millions of Americans, harvesting valuable information every second. Tuberville and Banks are giving FINRA and the Securities and Exchange Commission until the end of the month to respond. Strengthening Taiwan's defense capabilities. That was the theme at a meeting between U.S. and Taiwan defense specialists in the island's capital. We want to be part of the self-defense capabilities of Taiwan. We want to make sure that the supply chain resilience and that Taiwan preserve, we can preserve and expand Taiwan in the international space. Most countries will not sell weapons to Taiwan for fear of angering Beijing. Even the United States has been unwilling to provide Taiwan its most advanced fighter jets like the F-22 or F-35. And Taiwan has no direct answer to China's new J-20 stealth fighter. This has driven Taiwan to develop home-built defense systems as part of a strategy to make more weaponry itself. The island is investing in the development of fighter jets and long-range missiles. Taiwan's Air Force has to send back Chinese fighter jets daily. Jets sent by the Chinese regime constantly breach the island's air defense identification zone. Still, a Taiwanese researcher at a government-funded think tank is raising concerns. Because of the uh, close interaction between uh, Taiwan Strait, uh, Taiwan and China, uh, there are many cases of uh, semiconductor technology uh, being stolen and bought by China. 
which also make the United States worry about that uh, uh, technology transfer to Taiwan. He added there is risk that certain kinds of weapons technology might also find their way to mainland China. A pledge to defend the homeland. Taiwan's foreign minister saying the island would fight for itself in the event of a war with China. He also notes the island isn't asking other countries to fight for it. In an interview with Sky News last Friday, Taiwan's foreign minister Joseph Wu said the island is determined to defend itself. Asked which country might fight alongside Taiwan, Wu replied, this is a very good question. Wu's remarks come as the U.S., Taiwan's closest defense partner, opts not to say whether it would come to the island's aid. President Biden has repeatedly said Washington would defend it in case of a war. Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. But the White House walked back those statements afterward, saying the U.S. policy of strategic ambiguity hasn't changed. Back to Taiwan's foreign minister, when asked if Taiwan is destined for war. I certainly hope not. Uh, the reason is very clear. War means devastation, not just for uh, the one who's got attacked, but possibly also for other countries as well. Wu also mentioned the year 2027. Chinese leaders said that would be the year when the country has the full capacity to strike Taiwan. It's also the year when Chinese leader Xi Jinping would assume his fourth term. He might want to do something uh, as a surprise to the Chinese people in order to tell the Chinese people that he has already accomplished something. And Taiwan might be a uh, scapegoat. Taiwan has been beefing up its defenses. That includes buying weapons from the U.S. Through about $19 billion worth of weapons are on back order. While China's military forces exceed Taiwan's in almost every category, part of the island's strategy is to hold Chinese forces off long enough for outside help to arrive. A popular Chinese shopping app in the hot seat. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are turning up the heat on Chinese fast fashion giant Shine. They're asking a federal agency to take action over concerns about forced labor. Here's the story. A bipartisan group of 22 House members asked the Securities and Exchange Commissioner, SEC, to take action on Chinese fashion giant Xi'an in a letter on Monday. The lawmakers want the SEC to halt the initial public offering for Xi'an until the commission verifies the company doesn't use forced labor. The lawmakers also want the SEC to require Xi'an certify that its products do not use Uyghur forced labor. Uyghurs are a persecuted ethnic minority in China's Xinjiang region. A 2022 Bloomberg report found Xi'an's garments contained cotton from the area. Democratic House member Jennifer Wexton and Republican John Rose led the effort. They said in the letter, there are credible allegations of the company's use of underpaid and forced labor. They went on to say that they strongly believe the ability to issue and trade securities on domestic exchanges is a privilege and that foreign companies wishing to do so must uphold a commitment to human rights across the globe. A spokesperson for Xi'an denied the allegations, saying the company has zero tolerance for forced labor. The U.S. has banned all imports from the Xinjiang region over concerns of forced labor use. Sources say Xi'an is eyeing an IPO in the U.S. this year. And now we look at a story of a Chinese exile. 
who's now facing backlash at a U.S. college campus, more specifically, a Christian university. The reason? For addressing the dangers of communism. I'm going to tell you my experience and hopefully in the process help you to really appreciate what a great country that we are in and how much it's in danger and it depends on us to save it. The women speaking at Xi Van Fleet, a Virginia mom who lived through the Cultural Revolution firsthand in China. She's now setting foot on college campuses, warning American youth about the looming danger of communism on U.S. soil. At an event at the University of Delaware, Van Fleet shed some light on her personal experiences in communist China, while drawing comparisons with the U.S. She was previously denied the opportunity to speak at a Christian university in Washington state. I was invited by the Turning Point uh, chapter in Whitworth, a Christian university. And the student government voted no, because I hold harmful views. And this is today's America. Van Fleet is also known for her pushback against critical race theory, an ideology that views race as a social construct. She says that CRT is a means of indoctrination, which brings back memories of what she saw back in Mao's China. Like many others during the Cultural Revolution, Van Fleet missed two years of school. Instead of going to college, she was sent to the countryside to work with peasants in the field. The Cultural Revolution was a political movement launched by former Chinese leader Mao Zedong in 1966. Its end goal was to completely eradicate traces of traditionalism and capitalism in China, all in an effort to consolidate Mao's leadership. To reject tradition, it mobilized young people who called themselves the Red Guards, who began to destroy historic relic en masse. They also publicly humiliated, tortured, and even killed those who were labeled as counter-revolutionaries. That was the Red Guards. You heard about them by now, right? Red Guards. And they're here today. They're here on campuses. They're here everywhere in America. Some students found the event meaningful. I found it honestly extremely sad to see just how how far China had to fall in terms of the social structure and it was just so sad to see that this thing is happening right now at the U.S. and it's a lot closer than I realized it ever would be. Van Fleet also emphasized that the goal of communism is to turn people against one another. Despite external pressures, Van Fleet told NTD that she will continue her advocacy. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. A meeting between the U.K. and China is on the books. Britain's Foreign Secretary James Cleverly expects to meet China's second-in-command Han Jin when foreign officials visit London for King Charles' coronation. Here's more. Cleverly told BBC Radio that it would be counterproductive for the U.K. to gag itself by refusing to talk to Beijing's representatives. The Foreign Secretary indicated he will raise issues including Hong Kong and human rights abuses in Xinjiang and stress that engagement does not mean agreement. UK-China relations are at their worst in decades after London restricted Chinese investment over national security worries and expressed concern at Beijing's increasing military and economic assertiveness. While the leaders of France, Germany and Spain have visited China in recent months and called for engagement, the U.S. and Britain are taking a tougher approach. Some U.K. lawmakers have strongly criticized the planned meeting with Han Zheng, who was in charge of Hong Kong affairs for the regime. Sir Ian Duncan Smith said it was outrageous to invite the man responsible for trashing the International Treaty on Hong Kong. 
Coming up, if war breaks out between China and Taiwan, how would it start? And could U.S. nuclear deterrence prevent it before it begins? We spoke to Captain James Fennell, former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, for his take on that. More after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. As tensions heat up, many say the question of whether China would invade Taiwan is no longer an if, but a when. Now, a new query is up for debate. How to prevent China from invading Taiwan and how to protect the island during a war? Captain James Fennell, former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, breaks it down. Different tactics from nuclear deterrence to communication around Taiwan and more. And Jim, on that note of deterrence, it seems one side of the argument is, oh, if the U.S. kind of dwindles down their nuclear arsenal, that's going to promote peace. While the other side argues the more nuclear weapons, it's not to really use them for nuclear war, but to kind of make sure that no one uses them and that way you have peace. So how do you look at that argument? Yeah, this is a, a, a it's a debate that goes back to the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And you had people uh, that would argue that in the era of detente, that if we could denuclearize and draw down our weapons on both sides of the United States and the Soviet Union and Russia, that somehow that would make things more safe for the world. And that argument has been, you know, made. Uh, but I think we're now in a position where America may be on the receiving end of being outmanned or out uh, weaponized, outgunned, if you will. Uh, by the combination of an alliance between Russia and China and surrogates like North Korea and Iran. And so I think it's really important to, you know, I think recognize that if we don't have a credible nuclear deterrent capability, which means we have to have the force structure, we have to have the numbers of, uh, you know, SLBMs on SSBNs on ballistic missile submarines, we have to have enough uh, ICBMs across uh, America that can be launched securely and with assurance, and then a, a fleet, an air fleet that can launch these weapons. If we don't have that, then we lose that deterrent effect. And while we say we don't want to be able to, we don't want to use them, we don't, never want to have a nuclear war, we better be able to show and demonstrate that we can use them and that, that we would use them in the case of uh, being blackmailed or threatened by the PRC or Russia. Jim, it sounds like in a way it's what Ronald Reagan was saying back in the day when he was president of peace through strength. But kind of pivoting a little bit, it seems another area kind of pushed to the forefront in terms of importance right now is that of undersea cables. So many people will say, oh, satellites is what our modern life runs on. But how important are undersea cables? There have been some war game scenarios where China's first step would be to cut off those lanes of communication in terms of a Taiwan invasion so that Taiwan and the world wouldn't know that it had taken place. I think that's the concern that I have right now. Uh, and so what are we doing to ensure that we maintain information uh, dominance, if you will, and to be able to have connectivity in the event of hostilities is, is very important. So hardening of our points of entry and departure. So when cables come in and out of the ocean, are those hardened? Do we have the ability to monitor our cables 24-7 to know if anybody's manipulating them? Do we have the ability to uh, uh, reroute if something gets destroyed? Do we have enough cable laying ships? There's a 
there's not very many cable lane ships uh, around the world. So what are we doing to invest in the ability to replace cables once they're cut? Because it takes time. As we mentioned in the Matsu case, it's going to take over a month, maybe two months to be able to replace cables. And in that period of time, you're, you're at a degraded uh, uh, capability. But with all the areas covered, any final words you'd like to share? Well, I would just say that we're, you know, what we're watching right now with Joint Sword, in my opinion, is the extension of the exercise that occurred in August of, of 22, uh, when the Chinese did the big three-day exercise where they essentially surrounded Taiwan with ballistic missiles. And I think that was a demonstration of their doctrine of this Taiwan invasion strategy, and that the missile firings in August were what they call in their doctrine to the joint fire strike campaign. When you think about the last 20 or 30 years of the, the, the status quo that we like to talk about between the PRC and Taiwan, it's been altered, dramatically altered. And so with this large amount of air activity, I think fits what the PRC and PLA doctrine is called the joint anti-air raid campaign. So the idea is you do a joint fire strike campaign, you isolate key targets in Taiwan, military and political targets, and then you establish air superiority and supremacy over the island so that nobody can fly over there except for PRC aircraft, which would then allow for the confidence to conduct a joint island invasion. And I think that's the next exercise, major exercise that we'll probably see here come this fall from the PRC. And they'll find some excuse, you know, it was Speaker Pelosi's visit last August, it was President Tsai's visit to, to uh, America and meeting Speaker McCarthy this time. And sometime in the fall, there'll be another excuse levied by the PRC. It does seem Taiwan is still expecting House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to make a visit to the island maybe in the fall. And we've seen that response, you know, after the visit on U.S. soil and also Nancy Pelosi's visit last fall. And it sounds like what you're saying is China's preparing for actual war, not just, quote unquote, overreacting. Captain James Finnell, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Tiffany. All the best. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.